Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. Well, here we are back again, episode 32 of the Mike and Mo Show. I'm Mike Calandrillo. He is Maurice Moten, and we are gearing up for week three of the NFL season with tonight's big matchup, or big-ish, the uh, New England Patriots led by Maurice Moten's doppelganger, Jacoby Brissett, uh, and, and the Houston Texans who are playing really, really well, but we're going to be talking plenty of NFL, a little bit of uh, fantasy news to get you ready. Of course, we'll have our weekly picks uh, and then maybe a little MLB as well, because as we know, about 12 games left in the season, and uh, postseason is going to be full full of storylines to follow. But Mo, welcome to the show. Yeah, I have a, a huge disagreement with Vegas and the New York Knicks. Uh, don't know if many of you heard, but Vegas released their over-unders for wins, and we're going to talk about that later. We're going to talk some uh, heartbreaking losses in terms of injuries for NFL teams. Some concerns about a, a favorite player of a, of a person that watches our show frequently. But we're going to start it off, of course, with the NFL's latest, well, I should say the NFL's latest poll, but a latest a poll came out where people voted on the most disliked player in the NFL. Darren Bell reported this. And, of course, Colin Kaepernick was first. Uh, Winston, Jameis Winston, the quarterback of the two, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, was second. Duncan Sue third, Brady fourth, and Ben Roethlisberger fifth. Okay, so obviously because of Kaepernick's protesting, he's obviously going to be number one. But there's another reason why he's number one, and I'll get to that in a minute. What I am surprised is for all the moralists that come out, and every time an NFL player or an athlete does something and it's widely reported and people shake their finger or wag their finger, oh, how could this player do this? You're disrespecting this or you're disrespecting that. It's funny, um, Josh Brown, the kicker of the New York Giants, who reportedly has an extensive domestic violence history uh, with his wife or partner, and he, he, he is nowhere to be found in the top five on this list. And again, where are all the moralists to say, well, I'm going to boycott the NFL because I don't want to see protests or politics or, you know, and you look at this list, you have guys like, okay, you got Jameis Winston, who was accused of, uh, I believe it was rape at... Uh, Florida State. Uh, you have you have Adamus Sue's known as a dirty player. You have Tom Brady because we all hate the Patriots. The Flake Gate, we get it. And then you have Ben Roethlisberger who had his legal troubles years years ago. But it's funny that this list comprises of. It, it's not about. I feel like this list is not about this, the most disliked player. It's probably the most disliked player of the well known players in the league. Yeah. Because again, as I said, Josh Brown. If, if if any if, if Kaepernick or Winston or Sue or Brady were accused of what Josh Brown's accused of and he's there's litigation behind it, they would be number one. Josh again, Josh Brown is nowhere to be found on this list. So for all you moralists that say, "Oh, I, I can't stand the wrongdoings of NFL players," and this is why I feel a certain way, you obviously don't feel this way about Josh Brown. And domestic violence is a huge problem in our country. And again, he's nowhere to be found on this list. And there are people out there saying, oh, we're going to boycott the NFL because of Colin Kaepernick. And, and it's just, I find it weird that he's not stopping you from watching the game. You know, he's not disrupting the game or, or any of that stuff. But you're going to boycott for that. That's why, that, that's, the, that's the straw that broke the camel's back in protesting. Like, I just find that odd. The second, 
other odd thing is that Kaepernick also has the top-selling jersey in the league. So again, he's the most disliked player, 29%, say. But then he has the highest-selling jersey in the league. So to, so again, people are freaking about, about this most disliked player poll. I would say not to read into it too much because part of it is about relevancy. When you're in the public eye, people are going to either really like you or really hate you. And that's the same goes for other sports. LeBron James, I guarantee, is one of the top five most disliked players in the NBA. And he's never in trouble. No matter how you feel about LeBron, he's never in any trouble or known as a dirty player like Ndamukong Sue or accused of anything malicious in the past or the present like Roethlisberger and James Winston. Now, quick side note, the NFL is actually, was actually considering moving the Panthers game with the Minnesota Vikings. That game is supposed to be in Charlotte, but because of the Charlotte protests due to what happened uh, with the with police and community relations, they're, they're thinking about moving it because the, the unrest there could cause a potentially a volatile situation. As of right now, it is going to be held in Charlotte. Now, what I would say is that if you're, if you're upset, if you're one of those people that says, I'm upset by Kaepernick, boycott the NFL, I would be upset at the protesters right now because this actually affects you viewing the game. Those people who were going to go to the game in Charlotte, if the NFL moves this game to Atlanta or a nearby city-state, then I could see you being upset. That, you know, there's a huge difference. You say, okay, protest, but protest the right way. Do it silently, which Kaepernick did. And now you have unrest in Charlotte, and now that could, that could hurt your ability to, to view the game. That's where I could see the outcome, the, the anger would go. But again, that, that has nothing to do with Kaepernick. I, I wouldn't put that on Kaepernick's back, that people are rioting and protesting and looting in Charlotte because of what Kaepernick did. It's just basic, basically social unrest. Again, it's not, the great, not a great way to go about things. But if you're looking to be angry at something, choose the 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 outrage unrest that's not silent versus what Kaepernick is doing that's again it's not hurting your ability to watch it lasts about a minute or so he kneels it's done but again back to the big picture you know I, I wouldn't read into it as Kaepernick is the most disliked player because he has a lot of support I know people who fought his journey you know so I, I wouldn't see it as most dislike, I would say he's pretty much popular, so of course, he's going to be polarizing. Now, quick note before we move on. Richard Sherman stormed off a press conference before, I, I believe he was going to answer questions about his matchup against San Francisco. And he gave a quick uh, speech about it. He praised Chip Kelly, said that they're moving the ball pretty well. But he was pretty upset that after he had done it, he and his teammates had done it the right way, protested the right way by locking arms and showing unity, that after the recent two uh, police community relations where there were shootings and African Americans killed, that people pretty much didn't sway their opinion. People pretty much stayed where they were on, on, the, on the cause. So Sherman felt that whether he did it the right way, as they supposedly did it, or did it in a way that upset some people like Kaepernick did it, it really doesn't matter. And that's what I, I was that's the point I was trying to get through to people on the last podcast that you could do it the right way, you could do it the wrong way, and people will still take it the way they want to take it. It, it, it. Sometimes for some people, not everyone, for some people it really doesn't matter. Wherever they stand on an issue, that's where they're stand, that's where they're gonna stand. And I say this all the time as a writer. Sometimes when I'm in a debate with people via Twitter or face-to-face, -face, 
you can give them all the facts, you can show them all the data, and they will still have that opinion. You're just not going to change their mind about whatever it is they're thinking. So to Sherman, I say I understand his frustration because he says, how can I go out here and, and mentor young kids and do these community functions and tell them how to handle uh, police officers and this still happens and then people still don't get behind me even though I tried to do it the right way. I tried to appease people. I tried to be a part of the solution and show unity and say, okay, I'm not going to be a disruptor, but I just want to shine light on this cause. And he still doesn't get the results that he was looking for. He's, again, he showed frustration. He stormed off, didn't answer any further questions from the media after he made his statement. So again, I say this. Before you throw out the whole old dislike like, you just got to understand people are so, some people are so set in their ways, they will never come to a middle ground. And until that, until that happens, until people change their mindsets and, and, and just be more open-minded, we will be talking about this for eons and eons and eons. This is never going to end. It, it could get better, but it's never going to subside to where we won't have to talk about this subject, even within the sports realm. I mean, it, it comes down to, at the end of the day, is, as an athlete or as a person, whether you're a multi-million not, uh, heir or not, you just have to do what you think is in the best interest of everyone. In your heart of hearts, you have to, if, if Richard Sherman feels like he is doing the right thing, then just do it. It, it. it almost sounds like, to me, kind of a cop-out, you know, well, I'm trying to make change, but people aren't responding. Well, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they are. I'm sure somewhere they are. Maybe he doesn't see it or doesn't hear it right now, or he the negative is overwhelming the positive, but he just has to stay on the course that he feels is, is just and and. Right, you know, rightfully so. He can't, you know, it, it's not, it's not a woe is me. I'm doing, but it's not going to work, so I'm going to quit. It's just you have to do what you feel is best. Just the same as when we write a piece, we write what we feel. We're not writing to appease someone, you know. We're not, we're not going to do something in a fluff piece. We're going to do what we feel it makes the most sense. So I hope that he, you know, keeps keeps the course and doesn't just feel like, well, it's it's falling on deaf ears because again that then that's just, you know, what was the whole point of it? You know, obviously he's going to get, there's going to be opposition to the to the cause. He just has to stay what he feels is is in the right direction for everyone involved. I hope he isn't discouraged, but I guess what he he was trying to get across is that the people who are, are were opposing Kaepernick were saying, okay, don't disrespect the anthem and we'll hear your message. And I guess Sherman felt, okay, I won't disrespect the anthem. I'll show unity. Now I expect you guys to hear my message. And then he felt like the message wasn't received. So then that, that forms, that, that brings his dishonesty. So whereas you may see it as a cop-out, he sees it as, okay, I fulfilled my end of the bargain, so I expect something in return. And we all do. Sometimes we, we, you, know, you do the right thing because you, it's the right thing to do at the moment. But you also expect the other end of the the people on the other end of the bargain to fulfill that that portion of I guess the unspoken agreement that okay if I do this because you guys asked for this this is you guys said don't disrespect the anthem fine I won't but if I don't I just want you to hear my message and if you can't so far as hear my message that is hurtful. Now, whether you're doing it for the right reason or not, because you felt it was good at the moment, the right thing to do at the moment, it is still hurtful that you can, your message, even though you tried to comply with, with the guidelines and fit into a box that people wanted you to fit into, that they still, still.
still turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to you. That's got to be frustrating. I'm just saying he he was emotional at the press conference, and I totally understand it. Because think about any time you try to tell somebody something, you try to explain your point to someone, and then they try they correct you on something, and you say, okay, I'll comply, and then they still don't hear your message after you comply with what they're asking you. Yeah, I mean, it's understandable. I just think Richard Sherman kind of should know better that, you know, even if somebody says something to him or he is an unspoken agreement that people are still going to turn their back or people are still going to expect more or something else. I mean, that's just that's just the way the, the, the jaded world works at this point. You know, unfortunately, he may have expected one thing, got another. But again, it's almost like, again, just do do what you feel. Don't expect anybody to really come out and do anything extra because that's just the way that the NFL and sports and right now the way the, 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 the this planet that we live on, everybody is, is looking to either take advantage or, or is basically lying to someone to get what they want. So I really just hope that, again, to reiterate the point, is that instead of saying, woe is me, I'm only doing this for a reason, just do it. You know, just do it because you you have a purpose of doing it. Don't ex- don't expect something out of it. You know, again, it's kind of like, well, I'm giving you this, but I but I'm only doing it because. And maybe that's not what exactly what he meant, but that's the way it kind of seems a little bit. It's like I'm speaking up because it went back and forth with him. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, where people in the African American community were up in arms that Richard Sherman wasn't speaking out. Uh, you know, on these topics. So now that he is, it seems like, well, I'm speaking out. I'm doing this because you wanted me to, but I want something in return. It, it, it just doesn't work like that. It, and you, you're absolutely right. But then that comes to the question. We're we're getting to his action now. So then, what do they have to do to get people to listen? Honestly, Kaepernick, just... Kaepernick tried to do it one way. People weren't happy with it. Sherman tried to do it another way. People don't want to listen to it. So then what has to be done? Because when you when you turn a deaf ear, things that are what the things that are happening in Charlotte right now happen. When you don't listen to people, people will make you listen. Yeah, I mean, and that's where we are today with the protests. And, you know, at first they started nonviolent and now it's taking a turn for the worse. And, you know, there's looting in the streets. And, yeah, it's there, there's there's many different sides. No one is really listening to the other. And not not that we're saying it's it's a good thing that what is happening, but this, this is what occurs. So, but again, you can't make somebody do something that they don't want to. And that's that's the issue. That's It's the reason why the protesters are going about it the wrong way. It's the reason why the people who want things from Richard Sherman and Colin Kaepernick aren't listening. They're doing it the wrong way. So there's many different sides, many different groups of people that are at fault. And we do. We do need that one unifying factor to come in. And I applaud the athletes that are trying to make that happen. But again, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen if you're asking for it. We have to continually try different things until hopefully we find that one that, that beacon of hope that can bring all all different parties together. And, you know, we got to just keep trying things until, you know, until we find the, the common denominator, I guess. Yeah, but um, back to the original point about the most disliked list. Tony Romo was fourth on that list last year, and Tony Romo is harmless as a flea. Yeah. I mean, the guy can't even stay healthy at this point. He had a bad collarbone, bad back, and he was fourth on the most hated list. So, again, if you're looking at this most hated list and your eyes are bulging out of your head because Colin Kaepernick is number one, don't even worry about it because, it, to me, it's it's a list that is about relevancy, but it's pretty much irrelevant when it comes to the title connecting with the people on that list because 
I, I guarantee you these people, you put these people in a normal society outside of football, they're not people that you, you dis- strongly dislike or even hate, in yeah. a sense. Nobody could pick out Josh Brown from a lineup because even if you're a, a hardcore football fan, it's a, it's a kicker. It's a kicker for the New York Giants, and I mean, it is what it is. Usually guys on this list are winners or, or people in the news like we see now. I mean, winners are always going to be hated upon because, again, while we, we're t- sick of talking about Tom Brady, it's because he has five Super Bowl rings. But if he had no Super Bowl rings, if he was Alex Smith, we wouldn't pay him much mind. But we hate because we envy. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, and that's why Josh Brown isn't on the list is because nobody really gives a crap. It's not the right thing. He is completely at fault, and I'm actually surprised that he's still with the New York Giants, uh, a stand-up organization that's been in the NFL since 1923. But it d- doesn't make it right, but that's why he's not on the list because nobody knows who this guy is. So, so dare I say, Mike, uh, it's not about morals. It's no. about relevancy then. Sure, absolutely. Because a guy sitting at the end of the bench or standing at the end of the line on the sideline could could do all these, could do some horrible things, and people will make a peep about it. But if you are a star, if you are in the limelight, and you do the slightest thing, such as choosing to go to another team, because you, even though you grew up in Akron, Ohio, you chose to go to Miami, people hate you for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people hate you for domestic violence cases pending and, and restraining orders violated and stuff like that if you're at the end of the bench. So I don't want to hear about. These moralists saying, oh, he did the wrong thing. I am outraged. I won't watch another game because of what he did. I don't want to hear it because I guarantee you every NFL locker room has a guy in there who's done something you we may or may not know about that we don't agree with, but yet you still support the team. It's only when it becomes in the forefront, when it's played by the media, when you see it on TV, then you have a problem with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I for years I supported the New York Yankees and Alex Rodriguez, and you know whether you agree with it or not, I'm still going to support the Yankees because he was a member of that team. Do I agree that cheating is the way to to win? No, but at the end of the day, if it helps my team win, look at Tom Brady, look at Colin Kaepernick, look at Roethlisberger, look at all these guys who may have done something checkered in their past. If they're winning. People are going to support them. Now, there always there is the faction of people that are going to say, well, Erod only batted, you know, barely over 200, so he's a bum, he's a cheater. Yeah, but it's easy to say that when it, when they're on the down part of their career. If Colin Kaepernick were still the Colin Kaepernick that went to the Super Bowl, we may not have this conversation, but because he's a second-string quarterback who sh- probably should have been cut in, in before, before everything went on with the National Anthem, he's now in the limelight, and that's why he's at number one. But if he was at the end of the bench... Would it, it would have probably fallen on deaf ears. But that's where we stand, Mo. Totally understand that everything that's going on. And yeah, hopefully we can come to a certain agreement real time soon. Otherwise, we're just going to have more of these conversations, like you said. Open mic. Well, if you've been living under a rock, you know that the New England Patriots are... Without Tom Brady. And now it looks like they're going to be without Jimmy Garoppolo for tonight's matchup against the Houston Texans. He he suffered a sprained AC joint in his throwing shoulder. Uh, Yet the Patriots seemed to think that he was going to be okay to play tonight. And according to reports, were prodding him to to suck it up and to get out there and uh, be the starting quarterback for those Patriots. It does not look like it's going to happen. It looks like they're going to go with rookie starter Jacoby Brissett, who uh, last was... 
at the University of uh, was it North Carolina State, North Carolina State University. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, I know personally, I'm benching Julian Edelman in one of my leagues, and I'm not going to start Legarrette Blunt either because I. I mean, what 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 can you expect from a, from a rookie quarterback who's brand new into the system? But you know, more concerning than that is the fact that the 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 Patriots wanted Garoppolo to go out there. And again, this guy is a free agent next year, and obviously he has proven that he can pass. He he. I mean, I know it's only a two game uh, sample size, but he's looked really good. Looked really good against the Dolphins. Was beating them up badly until he was hurt last week. So it's kind of crazy to me that the team would want him to go out there and win because that's again what he should do. But if he's severely injured the way he is. Uh, strange, really, really weird, uh, and I don't blame him for saying, hey, I can't go. Yeah, I, I went through the news reports, came out that they were trying to get him to play because that's what Brady would do, but guess what, <laughs> he's not Brady. Reports um, are that initially that he was going to dress as the backup, then, like, as the emergency backup, then it came out that he was going to dress. And I, I'm not surprised that these conflicting reports are coming out of the Patriots camp. We all know the Patriots are not going to tip their hand to anyone. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the game comes up and Garoppolo's out there playing. I would not be surprised about it. But uh, if Jacoby Brissett is the guy, the starter, then I think the Patriots have a problem. They have a huge problem. They got Watt. They got uh, Russellis out there. They got Javion Clowney out there. I don't think they're going to win this game, of course tipping my hand to our week three picks, but it's going to be rough for the Patriots with a rookie third-string quarterback under center against a really good defense that shut down the Kansas City Chiefs last week. So uh, you, you got to like the Texans if you're, if, you're betting to, if you're betting on this game, but you can't, you can't count the Patriots. The line is pretty much a pick em. It's very close. I believe it's, it's one point for the Texans, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, unless it's moved. But... Vegas is obviously giving the Patriots a chance because you don't bet against the hoodie. You don't bet against Bill Belichick. You can still get it done. Gronkowski, I hear, is actually going to play. So Brissett or Edelman or, or Garoppolo, whoever's there, will have another weapon. They'll have their top weapon out there on the field ready to play. It's going to be a good game, but it's going to be a, a very low-scoring game. It's not going to be one of those spectacular offensive shootouts you, you like to see. It is a Thursday night game, which I'll talk about in a minute. Ray Lewis made a comment about these. But again, low-scoring game, expect it. Brissett, Garoppolo, or Edelman, whoever's the QB, not going to have a great game. Gronkowski, maybe one or two catches, if, if any at all. I just wonder if you, if I were to start Edelman at a wide receiver position, if he comes in and plays quarterback, am I going to get points for that? I mean, how is that going to work? Because we know that he was a three-year starter at Kent State. Senior year, he threw for 1,820 yards. Not great. Uh, 13 touchdowns and 11 picks. Clearly, this is why he's a wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, but again, if he has to be the emergency quarterback, you're probably just going to see a lot of option plays, uh, maybe a couple screen passes. It will be ugly uh, for sure, but it would be it would be a lot of fun to see. I, I don't see New England coming out uh, as victorious in this game. And again, it, it's too bad for Garoppolo because he looked really, really good, and there was a chance he could have gone 4-0 before the incompetent Brady comes back in week five. So I, I'm wondering if this game had been played on Sunday as it should be. Yeah. I think Jimmy Garoppolo would play. If, if this game was three days later, I think Jimmy Garoppolo toughs it out and he actually plays and the Patriots actually win this game. And I bring this up because Ray Lewis was on the Callan Cowhart show, I believe it was two days ago, and he said that Thursday night football is going to shorten a lot of players' careers. And I agree with him because 
this is a guy who's been in the league and been through a bunch of injuries. He obviously knows the drill when it comes down to playing on Sunday and getting ready for a game on Thursday or the following Sunday. And he basically says you don't start to feel good until Friday. So to ask an NFL player to go through 60 minutes of, of a grueling, violent football game on a Sunday and then turn around and hop on a plane, basically, and start practicing for a game on Thursday is asking way too much of these NFL players. And he said this himself. These are humans. These aren't robots. These aren't computers you can shut on and off. These are actual humans who need recover time. So I think the NFL, there's a little hypocrisy going on when the NFL says, oh, we're all about player safety. It's all about player safety. No helmet-to-helmet hits. We're protecting quarterbacks. We're doing this. We're doing that. But yet, you go after the money and say, we want to take over Thursday nights. We want the NFL to be on the main platform on Thursday nights. So we're going to risk players' careers and their health by giving them shorter rest, three three days to turn around after playing a grueling football game on Sunday. Now you got to play on Thursday. Yes, I know they get 10 days after the Thursday game. But that period between that Sunday game and that Thursday game, as Ray Lewis said, could shorten a career. You could get an ACL injury. You blow out a knee. A multitude of things can happen, you know, especially on short rest when the body is not ready to perform in a grueling type of, of game. Yeah, and on, on top of that, the games are terrible on Thursday night. I mean, typically, if you look, since this has been, what now, two or three years that they've started this every Thursday, it used to be just towards the end of the season, like around week 13, 14, 15. The games are just awful, and that and that is totally uh, directly related to the fact that guys are not able to recover from, you know, from the soreness of playing on a Sunday in that short week. So, I mean, even last week, you look at the Jets and the Bills, and yes, it was a high-scoring affair, but that game was pretty much a blowout and only because the Jets really uh you know pumped the brakes towards the end did the Bills even mount a little bit of a comeback but so I mean I know it's a money grab I know they won't play on Friday nights because of high school football and you'll you won't see much NFL on Saturday until the end of the season because of the college but man third the Thursday night product on top of potentially hurting people because they're not fully recovered from the previous week is just terrible football I mean I just I don't understand it um I know it's about the money but really you're just watering down the product these guys are not ready to go and again if somebody gets seriously injured what is it going to take the NFL to realize well this is a failed experiment yeah the NFL is definitely talking out of both sides of the mouth because at the same time you hear all these rumors about oh the NFL is going to shorten the preseason and add two more regular season games and I'm thinking Again, that to me, that goes against their, their message saying, oh, we care about player safety because if you're going to drop two... Because we all know those preseason games, the starters play with one or two series. Yeah. So you're going to drop that off and you're going to add two more games that actually count. How does that help players... How does that coincide with player safety? Yeah, and I think if you're going to do that, you're going to have to expand the rosters more than, than 53 players because you're going to have more injuries, you have more players out, so you're going to have to have more players able to come in and play. And again, the money rules the world. I tell people this all the time. You get these moralists out here who say, oh, I care about this and I care about that. And I'm not saying they don't, but there's there's a pecking order. They care about it, but not as much as the money or not as much as my team winning or not as much as whatever it is. There's always, there's always something that's an asterisk. Yeah, I care about this, but I care about something more. And of course, I yes, I'm not naive. I know the NFL is a business. It's all about making money. That's the bottom line. But don't come out here and say we care all about the players when it's obvious that you really don't. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move to uh, some locker room dissension in the world of the NFL. And even though we're only entering week three, there are already a couple teams at the breaking point. Uh, we're gonna we'll kick it off with the dis- defending Super Bowl champion. Denver Broncos, and uh, we, we've talked a little bit about Trevor Simeon, uh, former Orlando great, and I say that jokingly. Um, but Demarius Demarius Thomas, great wide receiver, Pro Bowl wide receiver, came out and again did not name quarterback by name, but came out in the news and said, "quote We're going to need more offense. That's for sure. It's hard. You're always putting it on the defense, and at some point, that's tough to count on. There's no reason to keep it close. Last year, a lot of things went our way, but that can catch up with you. You've got two guys." Damn, the best two, uh, best duo in the league, and we haven't had 100 yards in a game yet. Obviously, he's talking about himself and Emmanuel Sanders. He's got, what, eight catches? I've got nine, end quote. I mean, there's a lot to that. There's a lot of truth. Uh, but again, they're 2-0, and and Trevor Simeon has over 440 yards passing. So I understand that he's a receiver and he wants his but isn't it more important to win, go back to the playoffs, and defend your title? Yeah, you're absolutely right, and and it goes back to the point I was just making. Uh, it's not a moralist stance, but it's kind of like, oh, yes, it's all about winning. That's the bottom line, but I still care about my stats. Yeah. I still care about my numbers. I, you know, I still need to do that. I still need this. I still need that self-gratification, and it's funny because you brought up Demarius Thomas. Emmanuel Sanders also came out with a statement, he, and he basically said, you know, I, I could sit up here and, and make it all about me and Demarius Thomas you know, having having being used to having hundred yard games, but he basically said we're sitting at two and zero, and he said I'm just basically waiting for that big game. So basically, what he's saying, let me translate this for you. Basically, he's saying I'm not gonna make a big stink about this until we start losing. <laughs> Once we start losing, I'm gonna have a problem. But as long as we keep winning, yeah, I'll keep my mouth shut. And we all say it all the time: winning is the best cologne. For, for for a bad locker room, for a stinky locker room, for, for dissension. Because when you win, again, that's what it's all about. Everyone's happy. At least you won the game. But if you lose and your numbers are bad, that's a double negative. And you know, in, in English and grammar, we don't do double negatives very well. No. So <laughs> if they lose in this upcoming game to the Bengals, believe me, you're going to hear Emmanuel Sanders. You're going to hear Demarius Thomas start chirping about the quarterback. And I said this two weeks ago. I said... Yeah, the Broncos are winning, but a lot of it is because of their defense. I believe Akeem Tlaib scored on a touchdown against the Colts last week. It is not because Trevor Simeon's throwing them to these victories, because Trevor Simeon's, his, if you look at his numbers, yes, he moves the ball down the field, but he's more of a dink and dunk game manager. He's not going to win a game for that football team. That football team needs to win the same way they won last year. And as Demarius Thomas said, and he's right about this, you're asking the defense a lot to do this over the span of two years. Because usually when you see a dominant defense, usually the next year they take a step back. You saw that with the Ravens when after their Super Bowl. And I'm talking about the first the first Super Bowl in 2000 when they beat the Giants. You saw this with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after they beat the Oakland Raiders. They fell off. You saw this with the Seahawks a little bit after they won their Super Bowl. Their defense took a step back. So far, defense, Denver's defense looks good. But we have an injury we're going to talk about soon. And it could take a step back pretty quickly. I just Demarius had a really poor year last year, and and it, a lot of it fell on him. We we know the story that his mother was was let out of jail, and that had a lot to do with his emotions. And we know Peyton Manning had a noodle arm. So I mean, there's a lot that went into it. Again, though, I just you struggled last year. Okay, you haven't got off to a great year. You're putting all the onus on 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 the quarterback. 
you know, I just want, you got to look at the bigger picture. I know it's, I know you want yours. You want to get paid. You want to be the hero. You know, your running back, CJ Anderson is not complaining. He's got two touchdowns and 144 yards. I mean, it just, why, why kick why kick somebody when they're down? Uh, the, Gary Kubiak is obviously trying to do the best of what he's got right now. Paxton Lynch is not ready. You want to put the blame on John Elway for not going out and getting a quarterback? Fine. But this is still the team that you're with. This is the team that you wanted to sign that fat long-term contract with. This is what you've been given. So you need to make the best of it. So if you talk about distractions in the world of football, this to me is a distraction. I don't know how you expect this to motivate a guy like Trevor Semini, who's a rookie, who probably has no voice to any of the veterans in that locker room. I mean, I just I think this does more harm than good. Yeah, but again, it's the reality in an NFL locker room. We talk about we make jokes about wide receivers being divas. Uh, they want their catches. They even even when, even when a team wins, they want to be a part of the victory. They want to feel like they contributed to something. Now, some of that is goodwill, and some of it is selfishness. But again, as you said, you're right. It's not going to help Trevor Simeon's confidence when he's standing in the pocket and he's dinking and dunking down the field. But we'll move on to a more toxic organization and situation. Redskins players are already chirping about Kirk Cousins' indecisiveness in the pocket. And as I said last week and shows prior and during the offseason and before that, Kirk Cousins is a fraud. And that his teammates are starting to figure out that he, in fact, is a fraud, as I said. And he has all these weapons. He has a bunch of weapons to throw to. Josh Doxon, Jordan Reed, Deshaun Jackson, Jamison Crowder. You got all, even PR Gasson. You got all these weapons, and Washington cannot seem to put up the amount of points they should be putting up with all those weapons. They're, I mean, they, they're close. They get close to the game. I mean, they got blown out by the Steelers. They got close with the Cowboys with a rookie quarterback. But they lost at home. They're 0-2. And Jay Gruden has came out and defended Kirk Cousins and basically said, you know, our job as coaches is to get him on the right track, which is funny because he didn't say that for RG3. But anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, he's behind Kirk Cousins and the players aren't. And I realized that players know more than anyone in an organization who can play and who can't. I've, I've watched players tell stories about how they get into, you know, veterans how they start preseason, how they start training camp, and they can look at a play and go, he's not going to make it. And they can look at another play and go, he's the real deal. And it's not a good sign if these players are looking at Kirk Cousins as a fraud because eventually there's going to be mutiny and they're not going to play with him. And it's it's going to get ugly in Washington pretty quickly. Washington has has a history of a toxic environment there. Signing signing big name players and they're not working out. Kirk Cousins, you know, is on a franchise tag, so he's competing for a long term deal. I don't think he gets it because they're going to figure out again he is a fraud. My issue, and I'm, it's not that I'm going to take up arms in, in defending Kirk Cousins, but the guy has 693 yards passing through the first two games. I know he has three picks and one touchdown, but mm-hmm. the problem is, is that. Their leading rusher is Matt Jones with 85 yards through two games. Their second leading rusher is Kirk Cousins with 28 yards. This team has no semblance of a running game, okay? Matt Jones is, is he's an okay running back, but he's better as a third down back. He comes out of the backfield. He is not your 
prototypical every down back. So if you want to put the blame on somebody, go back to the front office like we just talked about the Broncos, and you failed to go out and get a real every down running back. You let, you let Alfred Morris go to the Cowboys. And again, if a team knows that you have a running game that might average 2.2 yards a carry, they're not really concerned, and they're going to drop the defense back. So again, you're putting all the onus on Kirk Cousins, who had a career last year last year and obviously has all the pressure in the world to go out and get this team back to the playoffs especially if he wants to get paid a long-term deal but it they're just again they might have enough receivers but what did they do in terms of securing the offensive line getting better running backs they did nothing they put all their money into josh norman and they they neglected what they really needed which was a better running game so i just don't understand how anybody can expect the world out of kirk cousins when he just doesn't have that great of an offense around him. He has talent. Jordan Reed is talented, but you can't force the ball into him because as he tried last week, it's going to get picked. I mean, it's just common sense. That's just football in a nutshell. I mean, it's the problem we see all over the NFL right now. I mean, it's, it's what we're going to see tonight with, with New England and Buffalo. Uh, excuse me, New England and Houston. Why, why would you you know that they're going to run the ball because they don't have a quarterback? So it's vice versa with, with, uh, with the Redskins. It's just, I mean, to me, it's just logical. You're right, and I said this in the in the off season, and Washington fans kill me for it. They go, "Well, you don't respect Kirk Cousins. We just won a division title." Blah blah blah. Pound desk, pound desk. And I'm like, "Well, you guys don't even have a good backfield." I mean, I know you you guys are high on. I put Matt Jones in the same category as Jeremy Langford. I think Jeremy Langford is more talented, but I put those two teams, the Bears and the Redskins, backfield in the same category where they just don't have enough players and. The Bears actually went out and got somebody. You know, they have Jordan Howard who's a rookie. But the Washington Redskins didn't do, as you said, didn't do anything for their backfield. They had they have Matt Jones there, and and that's probably about it for, for their running backs. And I said that they should have they should have signed a veteran. They didn't they didn't do that. They said, okay, we have enough receiving options, we have Kirk Cousins, we're good on offense. And and I just shook my head and I said, their running game is going to be a problem because Chris Thompson is is not a good number two back. It, it's not a tandem. It's basically Matt Jones, who's, who, as you said, who's not a, an every down back, to me, in my opinion. And then you have a mediocre Kirk Cousins who can't get it done in the red zone. Washington, as I said, is going to end up, I said they would end up being third. They might end up being fourth the way the Philadelphia Eagles have been looking lately. So, I don't feel sorry for Washington. Again, it's, it's an organization, it's a front office that, have, that has made plenty roster personnel mistakes. This is not surprising to me. But what is surprising to me is that Kobe Fleener is pretty much not working out too well with the New Orleans Saints. Head coach Sean Payton uh, expressed frustrations with his production a little bit. Uh, I noticed that Kobe Fleener was not really involved in that first game against the Raiders, and the Raiders cannot cover a tight end to save their lives. And you saw that with Jacob Tammy last week. Jacob Tammy tore up the Raiders. Austin Hooper tore up the Raiders, and no one knows who Austin Hooper is. All you need to know is he's a tight end. And he tore up the Raiders. Kobe Fleener couldn't see the light of day with the Raiders, and that that is alarming considering that Kobe Fleener worked out well with Andrew Luck and the Colts. Now he comes to New Orleans, and he's kind of uh, a side note, a footnote in a sense, and you have a great quarterback at Drew Brees there, so you wonder what's going on with him. And I say, well, maybe it's just the fact that he has too many weapons to compete with there. The Saints wide receivers can go five deep, and all those guys are talented. Kobe's just, Kobe Fleener's just coming into New Orleans. He's a new face. Takes time to build chemistry for some people, and it could take a while for Kobe Fleener. 
I mean, five-year, $36 million deal, people are going to expect a lot. This team is still trying to replace Jimmy Graham. It's not going to happen. And like you just said, they have a ton of options. This is a team that doesn't need or doesn't has never really had a number one wide receiver, going back to the days of Marcus Colston. That's just not the way Drew Brees plays. He doesn't have to target one guy for eight or nine different times during the course of a game. But the thing with Colby Fleener, and this is the thing that people really fail to, to look at, is that he's never been the eye of consistency when it comes to an NFL tight end, okay? He had one huge year, and by huge, I mean 774 yards back in 2014, okay? Yes, he caught eight touchdowns. Very good. The year before that, 2013, he had 608 and four touchdowns. His rookie year was 281 and two. But last year, the con- the year that he got his huge contract, he had 491 yards and three touchdowns. That's not very good. So this team went out on a limb and gave this guy a huge payday when he really shouldn't have earned it and so again if you're if you're a saints fan or you're you're a fantasy owner and you took this guy super high you took a huge gamble because honestly he wasn't the main target with indianapolis and his college quarterback was andrew luck so why would he be the main court the main option for drew Brees here in a new orleans saint offense yeah you're absolutely right and i i think the shame what the saints should have done now they they did go after some people but Instead of signing Kobe Fleener, you should have went after another defensive back, a cornerback, a safety, or something, because that defense isn't looking too good. They got to play Monday night against the Falcons. Again, those two teams, in my opinion, are mirror images of each other. Poor defense, great offense. We'll see if Kobe, Kobe Fleener gets it back on track. I think it might take five or six weeks before we see him with a, with a decent game. But again, it, to me, it was just kind of money wasted because without Kobe Fleener, that Saints offense was going to be pretty damn good anyway. But we'll move on to notable NFL injuries, and we're going to start with the injury that made Mike probably pull his hair out. Uh, Adrian Peterson out several months with the torn meniscus. Now, originally, initially, I saw, I got a bleep from Bleacher Report saying, yeah, Adrian Peterson has a torn meniscus, but he could play. And I paused for a minute. I'm like, wait, what? He has a torn meniscus and he could play? But then he opted for surgery, I guess, he was advised that he should, you know, just get the surgery repaired. So now he's going to be out, I think it's three to four months. So now fantasy owners are now on a ledge right now, including Mike. The Vikings signed Ronnie Hillman, former Denver Broncos running back. They still have Matt Asiata there. Uh, they have Jared McKinnon there, who's going to start. I, I think there's trouble for Minnesota because AP is their offense. But uh, people are saying his career could be done because it's another major injury for him. I don't think he's done. He's pretty much Superman, but Fike is going to struggle. Not good. Contract year. I'm want to throw up because I can't believe I wasted a first round pick on this guy yes it was like the eighth pick in the first round but I should know better because the last time I drafted him in the first round well he was suspended for the season um yeah I think it's uh, unfortunately I was I've been waiting for that confirmation that he's not gonna play for the next three months because that way I can drop him and not worry that you know he comes back and then really really screws me up in the playoffs but I'm 2-0 so I'm feeling okay. Obviously, uh, still waiting on Jamal Charles to come back. Uh, it's been it's been a weird season. I mean, there must be something in the water in NFL stadiums because guys are dropping left and right. Another running back gone for the year is Danny Woodhead. Tore his ACL last week for the San Diego Chargers, and this guy did a little bit of everything, especially come out of the backfield. Melvin Gordon, who's looked really good in the in the first two games, is gonna is gonna be the, the every down premier back. So he's gonna have to step up in a big way. But it just made me it made me so 
I don't know. I was just kind of like at a loss because I'm basically watching all these games. And as an NFL player, you you are really playing until you get hurt. I mean, that's just the way it is. Every time you step on the field, you don't even have to have the ball. There's a there's a there's the possibility for catastrophe that you can break, tear, do something that will that will damage you not only for the rest of your life but for the rest of your NFL career. So, man, these guys really really take a huge risk. But I guess that's why they get paid the big bucks. Yeah, but we want to have Thursday night football and maybe two more regular season games, yeah. right? Yeah, sense, totally, right? absolutely. Uh, let's <laughs> move, let's move to your favorite team and Bobby Jones giving him a shout out. His uh, his Cleveland Browns. What is going on with that situation? The usual Cleveland Browns have a black cloud over that organization. Anything Murphy's Law, basically anything bad that could happen will happen to the Cleveland Browns. Corey Coleman fractured his hand at practice and he'll be out four to six weeks. Josh McCown hurt his shoulder last week. He did come back to play in that game, but he's going to be out multiple weeks. Cody Kessler will get a start, the rookie Cody Kessler. And the Browns are pretty much going to be a dumpster fire again. I had high hopes for them with Hugh Jackson there. But Cody Kessler, no Corey Coleman. Josh Gordon, Josh Flash Gordon is still going to be out. Gary Barnage, my, my darling fantasy pick at tight end, isn't doing well. Terrible. Doesn't look good for the Browns. They're gonna have to rely on the run game, and it's not gonna be enough for them. And, and speaking of games that were were bad and full of injuries, Monday night's contest, the Bears and the Eagles. How many different Bears were hurt? Thirty, thirty-five different guys were just concussed or uh, broken. This, I mean, Jay Cutler's gonna be out. It says for what, possibly three weeks with a, a damaged ligament in his right thumb. You've got uh, Lamar Houston who suffered a serious knee injury, tore his ACL. This is the second time. I uh, did it in 2014 while celebrating a sack. Uh, I mean, talk about a team that just can't get it on the right track. Yeah, I mean, the Bears, at the beginning of the season, I said the Bears would win six or seven games. The fans hated me for that. Now they're not even, not even want to take a pitchfork to Cutler's face because he apparently isn't the right quarterback there. And now he's out for two to three weeks, and they got Brad Hoyer. And if you saw Brad Hoyer last year with the Houston Texans, you know he's not going to give you a lot of wins. As you said, he had multiple injuries. You mentioned Lamar Houston. Danny Trevathan's out. He has a thumb injury out indefinitely. That takes a shot at their front seven. So the Bears, uh, initially I said six or seven. It may be four or five the way it's looking right now without their quarterback and without two pieces on their, uh, in, within their front seven. Yeah, and we've already talked about how Demarius Thomas wants the ball more because he's getting angry that the defense gets all the credit. Well, that defense could take a little bit of a hit. Demarcus Ware is going to be out four to five weeks with a fractured forearm. Uh, reports were that he was first going to try to play through the injury with wearing one of those giant uh, JPP-like club casts, but that is obviously not going to happen, and it's too bad because Demarcus has looked really good the first two games of the year. Yeah, first it was his back, and now he fractures forearm. I saw him walk off the field. He basically couldn't straighten his arm, which I imagine is a very painful thing. Mm-hmm. So that pass rush you would think is going to take a hit, but I actually think the pass rush will regenerate itself because you got Shane Ray, who they drafted in the first round of last year, who's going to step in, and he's going to be out there rushing the quarterback opposite Von Miller. So, yeah, I think they'll miss DeMarcus Ware's veteran leadership, but as far as sack numbers, I think they'll be fine. All right, let's talk about uh, Ezekiel Crop Top Elliott. And uh, there's been a lot of of Cowboy fans that have been, you know, not so happy with the way the young rookie has played. Talking about... just not looking like the way he did in Ohio State. I mean, is is there is there a lot to this, Mo, as, as reports from Cowboy Camp came out, or this is just people overreacting as usual? 
Yes, Laura, if you're listening, I want you to listen very closely. Your boy is headed toward bust potential. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that as an overstatement. I'm not just poking fun at you. I'm saying this seriously. Cowboys.com reporter Brian Broda said that he doesn't, as you said, doesn't look as explosive as he did in college. And there are also rumors about him living life a little too much as a, as a Dallas Cowboys running back and a star, quote-unquote, in the league. Now, his poor focus on football could lead him to being out of shape because there, there are concerns about his conditioning. I'm not saying this to be funny or comical, but if you ever heard Ezekiel Elliott speak, it sounds like he's out of breath. And I, again, I noticed this when he first broke into the league, into the spotlight. I said, this guy may be a little overweight, a little maybe a little too big. He sounds like he's overweight when he's speaking. May want to cut down on the pounds, the carbs a little bit, because you are running back. And you're going to have to be in shape, even though you are part of a group. You got, you got Alfred Morris there. Darren McFadden should be back at some point in time. But you are the number four overall pick in the draft. You need to be in tip-top shape, and 3.3 yards per carry is not going to cut it for you when you drafted that high in the top five. You're expected to be a three-down running back able to block, run, and catch. The guy has three catches, I believe, so far, and he's not running well. So it, it is concerning because you expect this guy to be good right out of the box as a top-five player, and it's not happening for him. I don't worry so much about the explosiveness right now just because, you know, we've seen we've seen running backs in the NFL not be not be super explosive at, you know, past the blockers. And then, you know, I mean, Emmett Smith was not a super explosive back. Uh, Eddie Lacy looks more explosive this year than he did when he was heavier, but he's obviously a lot easier to tackle this year as well. He's not running great. He only had 50 something yards last game. And again, a lot of that has to do with Aaron Rodgers and, you know, the inability of the offense right now to really be clicking. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, as a number four pick, a little scary. Again, he shouldn't have been there at four for the Cowboys to pick because we always say Joey Bosa should have gone four, and hopefully he plays this week finally for the Chargers who continue to just get one injury after the other. But uh, it's just a mess right now. Uh, Dak Prescott has looked pretty good i mean he's not great and obviously we he's not bad either we've heard that uh jerry jones cannot wait for tony romo to come back he's you know doing everything he can to get him back by week eight i don't know if that's realistic but talk about a dysfunctional another dysfunctional team in the nfc east the cowboys are right there running neck and neck with the washington redskins now if you put ezekiel elliott and Dak prescott side to side and you say which player was drafted number four and which player was drafted mid-round you'd probably guess Dak was yeah. the number four overall pick and elliott was the mid-round pick the way it's looking and to me that's not good because I, I hate to compare it to other people but people were comparing him to todd Gurley in a sense and when todd Gurley got on the scene after he missed the first three games he didn't have these hiccups where he go, is he is he really focused on football? He's only got 3.3 yards per carry. I know Tiger isn't doing much right now because he doesn't have much of an offense around him. But the Cowboys have Des Bryant. You know, Dak Prescott is, hasn't been the greatest, but he's been able to move the ball down the field. So there's no reason why those running lanes aren't a little bit open for Ezekiel Elliott to run through if he was focused on football and focused on his craft. Now, I'm not going to judge him because I don't know what he does in his spare time, but something's up. And he's got to correct it. The only craft he knows is craft macaroni and cheese. So that's that's pretty much where my man crop top stands. But you can just look at running backs in general, and they have been pretty poor 
all across the board. You talked about Gurley. We've seen running backs dropping left and right, Peterson, Woodhead. I mean, there's a couple nice surprises like like Melvin Gordon. Uh, even Abdullah looked pretty good, but now he's on the IR. He's going to be out till week 11. Uh, it's just a huge gamble with running backs. This is why teams are going more and more to two-back sets. Uh, you might start seeing three-back sets from now. I mean, honestly, the best all-around running back is probably Matt Forte right now, and no one would have seen that coming. So a huge gamble by the Cowboys. Um, and again, they did this to themselves. I don't really feel bad for them because this is the Cowboys iota. We're going to draft the, uh, the, the guy with the brightest, uh, you know, possible future. And if it works out great, if it doesn't, then we'll move on. But, uh, yeah, running backs, I, they're just, they're too, they're, they're too much risk. There's a lot of reward if you get a good one, but, uh, I mean, look at, look at the Falcons, look at Freeman, not running like he used to. We, we talked about Washington doesn't have one. CJ Anderson looks good, but nobody would have really predicted this out of him after what he did, you know, for the majority of last season Miami has no running game Buffalo really has no running game I mean you could go up and down the entire standings and see wow that team is doing it purely on either defense or you know they've got a couple of the best wide receivers in the game but this is exactly why most teams didn't choose a running back until after the second round I know the 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 Cowboys went with Ezekiel at number four and the Titans with with Derrick Henry in the second round but this is exactly what you said because there are so many two-man backfields there's no, there's no real reason to go running back within the top five. It, it just it just doesn't make sense. And the Cowboys already had a running back stable that was effective behind one of the best offensive lines in the league. So having a running back wasn't that important for them. Yeah, I, and we yeah. all know Jerry Jones did it for the star power, and he's paying for it right now. Yeah, I mean, I'd get, I'd get Darren McFadden when he gets healthy. i put him back in because he looked he looked really explosive at times. And again, he got, he's a veteran. He proved last year that he could run behind that line. So I don't understand why they were so quick to just kind of cast him off. Uh, but again, no one understands what the Dallas Cowboys do. So that is it. We'll be right back. We're building momentum. It's now time. For building momentum. So if you've been keeping up with the Mike and Mo versus the World Fantasy Football League, you'll know that Mike is undefeated. Mo, what is your record? I'm also undefeated, uh, by the way. I'm just in the Eastern Conference. Mike is in the Western Conference. It's funny because both Mike and Laura are undefeated. I'm undefeated in the East with, along with my buddy uh, Justin Huffman, who writes for NFL Spin Zone, and Jenna Preston, who's pretty good. She writes for the Jet Press, covers the Jets. And I looked at her team after the draft, and I said she was going to be one of the top four, and I was pretty much dead on so far. I, I actually play her this week, so it's going to be two undefeateds going at it. I wish her all the best, but I got to crush her. I would just like to point out, for my own sake, that I'm now playing without Jamal Charles and now also playing without Adrian Peterson. Obviously, I was pretty smart in my uh, infinite wisdom to pick up Spencer Ware in the last round of the draft. Obviously, he's played. Uh, he didn't play as great in the second week because he did have that fumbleaya, which, uh, you know, generic West came in the game. So I'm a little concerned about that. But, uh, yeah, I was not able to get any of the new Viking running ga- running backs because, obviously, when you're 2-0, oh, it doesn't work like that. So it'll be interesting to see how I recover. Uh, I really, really, really could use uh, Jamal Charles back, but it does not look like he will be ready to go. He was only practicing with the scout team, so... Okay, I guess we'll wait a couple more weeks. But, uh, it, you know, again, Russell Russell Wilson, is he going to have a big week? We know he's still dealing with that ankle injury, but if he doesn't have a huge week against San Francisco, then he may not have a big week this year. The same can be said with Todd Gurley going against the Buccaneers. 
if a guy like that, who you probably drafted in your top five, does not have a big game against the Buccaneers, you could be looking at a huge bust. But again, then there's guys on the other end of the spectrum, like a Victor Cruz, who could be looking at his third, you know, another another game where he nears uh, 100 yards. Because again, he's healthy. It's Eli Manning. They're going to pass the ball. Uh, we talked about earlier Gary Barnage, who uh, was, you know, he's just a victim of circumstance being with that horrible offense. Honestly, I dropped him in one league already this week and picked up Dennis Pitta because he had 100 yards last week. He was targeted 12 times by Joey Flacco, and obviously it looks like that offense in Baltimore, not so much the running game, but the but the pass offense is pretty good, and obviously their defense is always pretty stout. Uh, Mo, any guys that have uh, kind of come to light for you that you've you've put some interest in? Uh, I'll say one thing. As you said, I dropped Gary Barnes because I just don't have any faith in the Cleveland Browns right now. It sucks that I had to drop him because he was one of my sleepers. But I did make two moves. I like to consider myself an opportunist. Uh, Mike, my dear friend Mike over here, dropped Philip Dorsett. And then a, a couple hours later, I see uh, a news pop up saying uh, Moncrief is going to be out for the Colts for four to six weeks. So I'm like, hey, I'm hopping on the Philip Dorsett train because. He is now going to be in the wide receiver two set, so it's going to be T.Y. Hill and Philip Dorsett, two undersized quick wide receivers for Andrew Luck. I don't think that's good for the Colts, but it's good for my fantasy team because he's going to get more targets. I picked up Jacob Tammy after he destroyed the Raiders last week. Uh, That was my replacement for Gary Barnage. And I think I was pretty smart on two fronts. Number one, I picked up Theo Riddick, and that's probably a huge sleeper because Theo Riddick was actually relevant before Amir Abdullah uh, landed on IR. He was basically the receiving back in that backfield. But now that Amir Abdullah is out, Theo Riddick is the man in Detroit. And again, I had him already, so he slipped right in there because Doug Martin got hurt. A little upset about that because he's going to be out for three weeks with a hamstring injury, and Charles Sims is actually a better all-around running back where he can run and catch out of the backfield. So even if Derek Doug Martin comes back, I don't know how effective he's going to be, especially if Charles Sims take, takes off. And a certain someone on the show poked and prodded at me for picking up Sterling Shepard, and lo and behold, Sterling Shepard leads the Giants wide receiving court and reception yards, also has a touchdown. Beckham does not, by the way. Sterling Shepard is the real deal. I said he was an offensive rookie of the year candidate, and I stand by that statement. Yeah, Shepard looks great. Uh, ODB is hurting many of fantasy owners' teams right now. Um, But like we said, though, Victor Cruz has looked really, really good. So they might have the three best receivers uh, in the game when you when you look at that. You know, look at them one, two, and three of what many teams can trot out there. Now the reason I dropped Orsett is because Andrew Luck went from forty-four points in the first week to nine in the second week. I do not trust that team and I even have Frank Gore on, on one of my mini teams uh, and I don't trust him either but the reason I dropped him really was because I had a chance to pick up Cole Beasley and and this guy's got more yards than Des Bryant he's he look he's that slant guy he's an intermediate guy that just can pick up a bunch of yards he's like a Julian Edelman type he's gonna get you eight nine catches a game and if you're playing in a PPR league uh, why would you not but again look at a guy like Stefan Diggs I took him in one league super late and he's probably my best receiver and I, that's a team I've got Antonio Brown on so again who would have seen that come 140 yards last week obviously going up against uh, you know a pretty good Carolina defense still but in that one league I'm gonna play him this week because I don't again I don't trust Julian Edelman uh not because of him but because of the uh the unfortunate situation there with the Garoppolo less Patriots um you know Seahawks defense has been really bad a lot of defense have been really bad actually I got lucky last week and had the Cardinals in one league and they got me 20 points and anytime you can get over like 
five from a defense this year you know it's a bonus and again i we told you early i like to put a big onus on kickers and well lo and behold i had gano last week and he got me 20 points and when are you going to get 20 points from a kicker if again if you get nine ten that's a great week but a 20 points from a kicker can win you a league a league and i did in in two out of my three leagues i won so again you don't always have to be a sheep and follow all these worldwide fantasy guys that tell you well take a kicker on the last round because you know if you got one of the the best ones like Canazero or Cairo Santos or Gano, uh, not so much Hashka this year, but if you got one of those big guys on a team that's going to get an opportunity to kick field goals if they can't punch the ball in the end zone, you're going to get a lot of points that are going to win you those close games. So Mike and I both heading into this week uh, undefeated. I have a tougher matchup than Mike, by the way, because Mike is going to face my buddy Dan Thomas, who's 0-2, also writes for spin zone. So, Mike, if you cut, we get back on the show next week and you're 3-0 and I'm 2-1, let's not get too happy. Let's look at the <laughs> matchup, okay, because you're facing a team who hasn't won a game yet and I'm facing an undefeated team who hasn't lost yet. So let's hold your horses. But back to your point about, I guess, fantasy uh, football gurus. A lot of people were shocked when I picked Cam Newton at the, at the top in the first round of my leagues. A lot of my leagues, I was, I was either the first pick or maybe mid-round. And I didn't waste any time picking up Cam Newton. And this is exactly why. It's because Cam Newton is going to throw touchdowns. He's going to throw more touchdowns, or just as many as last year, with Kelvin Benjamin, Greg Olson there, Devin Funches is coming up. He hasn't been very good at the beginning, but I think he's going to catch on. But Cam Newton is also going to rush for some touchdowns. So you're going to get points on his passing. You're going to get points for his rushing. And again, uh, Jonathan Stewart, who I predicted that he's not durable, he's out for maybe two, three games. Cam Newton's going to run for more touchdowns, so he's going to blow up. So people say, oh, you're picking your quarterback first. And I'm like, you're damn right if he's going to get me passing and rushing. So as Mike said, if you feel strongly about something, sometimes you have to break away from the mold, and sometimes you'll get rewarded, sometimes you won't. But sometimes you got to take the risk. Absolutely. Let's transition to our other favorite sport here on the show, hoops. And we're about a month and yeah, a month and a week away from the uh, the start of the season. Training camps are going to be uh, gearing up soon. There's been a ton of guys, uh, like Metal World Peace, actually finding homes. He signed with the Lakers the other day. So a lot of guys that are going to you know try to make the team out of training camp. But the odds from Las Vegas came out on the New York Knicks, and it's 38 and a half over under to the wins that they will get this season i have so much to say about this but mo why don't you tell me how you feel yeah i, I think vegas is not wrong a lot because this is their job to, to have these predictions and win money for the house and everything i get it but vegas is totally wrong on this one i mean unless Derek rose Joachim noah and Carmelo Anthony are all injured, and Brandon Jennings, unless those players are all injured simultaneously and they're all riding the bench, I don't see the Knicks winning less than, going less than 50, uh, 500. They're going to win at least 42 games. So to put them at 38 and a half, to me, is a sign of, of slight disrespect. I mean, I'm not drinking the Phil Jackson Kool-Aid all the way either, but you got to look at their lineup. I mean, Porzingis, another year in that offense. I know they have a new head coach, and that's probably where the you know, the, the low number comes from because you are implementing a new system with Jeff Hornacek coming in. But, I mean, again, Porzingis, another year in that offense. Carmelo Anthony's a prolific scorer. If Rose misses games due to injury or other reasons, you still have Brandon James, who is a starter on most teams in this league. And he was a starter. And, yes, he has a low shooting percentage, but he can get you points in, it in a quick instant. If Joe Kim Noah is healthy, then you have a guy down low to bang rebound and basically replaces Robin Lopez. So 
I don't get where they're only giving the Knicks maybe six more wins than they had last year. But uh, I, I don't know. Maybe Vegas sees something that I don't. Remember, they do this for a living. I, I write for a living, though, so I, you know, I cover this team. But if you're going to go with somebody, I would say trust me on this one. They're going to they're gonna go over on the 38 wins. Yeah, I mean, look, we get that they had 32 wins last year and only 49 in the previous two seasons. But how can Vegas really have nine teams higher in the East with bigger benchmarks than the Knicks for the upcoming season? I mean, you just look at the people that the Knicks went out and signed. And, and, and obviously Vegas feels that, well, it either wasn't enough or they overpaid for guys like Noah. And, and it's not going to translate. But look, look. I see a huge turnaround. Do I see what Jeff Van Gundy said? In a recent interview with ESPN, he said that he sees this team winning between 45 and 50, even in the low 50s. Now, I would love to see that. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if 52, 53 is doable right now. If Derrick Rose stays healthy, yeah. Well, if he's the Derrick Rose of 2009-ish, 10, I, why not? Because Carmelo, like we said, coming off that gold medal, he's inspired. Uh, he's 31. He's not going to have many more shots with, with uh, a cast around him that are, that are this talented. Porzingis will get better, but we don't know how many other guys will get better. Courtney Lee was a, was a decent signing. Hopefully he gives us some of that famous D and 3 that Mo loves to throw around so much. Uh, but just remember, the largest turnaround in NBA history was 42 games by the 07-08 Celtics, uh, and they won the title that year. So I don't know. It'll be, it'll be cool to see. Uh, you said around 40 two games but remember last year the eighth seed in the east detroit won 44 so i think that this team is going to have to win 45 games just to really get into the playoffs as the seven or eight seed so 50 50 might get them to middle of the pack maybe five uh 52 53 could see them being anywhere from you know three four but you know i don't see them challenging the cavaliers just yet you know we're talking 65 67 wins but again uh baby steps but um, but I would need to see a lot more than just five or six wins. So uh, hopefully Vegas is dead wrong. Let's go with that closer to 50 like Jeff Van Gundy, who coached the Knicks for a long time and knows the game really well. Let's go with that uh, that that paramount win meter, as, as the man suggested there. Yeah, I absolutely feel like 42 is, is the floor for the Knicks, but I feel that their ceiling is 50. Yeah. You know, if I had to, if I had to, you know, if someone asked me today, what, what is the Knicks' final record going to be? I would go with 48 and 34. That's that's how I feel. If mm-hmm. if players are relatively healthy, let's say Rose and Noah, they play at least I don't know sixty games. Forty eight and thirty four seems right about where the Knicks will land, and now it'll land them in about the five or six spot. But forty two is 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 the floor. That's if players get hurt and the Knicks just have our chemistry issues. As you said, they they might need more than forty two victories this year to get into the playoffs because Eastern Conference on the the bottom portion of the Eastern Conference got a lot better. So they're gonna have to they're gonna have to be well above five hundred to make it to the postseason. I do think they are a playoff team. Vegas, y'all tripping out there. I don't know what happened. Y'all gonna have y'all gonna have to modify that. But we're gonna move on to MLB and we're closing in on the postseason. I'm sure Mike is excited, not that excited because the Yankees are kind of falling out of favor. Yeah. But um, <laughs> the Cleveland Indians may have pitching rotation issues after some injuries. But I hear they're gonna they're gonna pull an NFL and, and have guys pitch on three days rest. So <laughs> I, I guess Mike's gonna clarify that for us. And before after you clarify that, do you think there's a chance that we can have a back to back Cleveland championship from the Cleveland Cavaliers 
to the Cleveland Indians? Uh, if you would have asked me that in July, I would have probably said yes more than no. But as we stand today, I'm going no more than yes. I and I understand that the Indians are 88 and 63, seven and a half games up in the division. That's all fine and dandy. But right now they're playing for home field advantage. And as it currently currently stands, Texas Rangers would be you know the winner of that uh, if it ended today with a better record at uh, 90 and 63. So obviously there's a lot going on there. But the bigger picture is what are they going to do come playoff? time uh, and you, as you just said that this this kind of cockamamie idea about a three-man rotation has been thrown out there now there's a couple of reasons as to why this could work there's one big reason why it won't the big the reason why it could is that they're having a ton of uh, health concerns right now okay Trevor Bauer has been pitching on short rest uh, Corey Kluber is great Corey Kluber might probably probably win the Cy Young award this year uh, but the injuries that they've had Carlos Carrasco and Danny Salazar we don't know when they'll come back if they come back uh, Bauer hasn't been great but at least he can eat up innings so that kind of leaves you to choose between Josh Tomlin or Mike Clevenger who I wouldn't feel confident about putting either of them in a rotation so you really don't want to put both of them I understand that so you got your four guys right there now the the Indians did go out and they did solidify their bullpen you know for a fair amount they picked up Andrew Miller uh which broke my heart from the New York Yankees uh picked him up uh, and not even it's funny because Tito Francona the manager hasn't been using him as a closer he's been using him as I you know somewhat as a setup man he's brought him in the sixth inning to pitch to to situational tough lefties and you know his his while I don't understand not pitching your best pitcher in the most formidable formidable uh, portion of the game, which is closing it out in the ninth, he does bring a lot of sense to the equation when he says, you know, what happens if we don't get to the ninth inning? You know, I, what happens if, if I bring in a righty and I pitch to a tough left-handed hitter, say Robinson Cano, and Cano, you know, drives in, you know, the go-ahead run at the time. At least if you bring in a left-handed pitcher like Miller to pitch like to a left-handed batter like a Cano, uh, and, you know, it's easier to get him out lefty on lefty. So I understand that. And obviously, you You've extended the bullpen so you can, you know, potentially go with a three-man rotation, even if you have to pitch them, you know, on three days rest or only throw them, say, five innings. That's, you know, it's going to lengthen the duration of the rot- of the uh, of the bullpen that they're going to have to pitch. You know, you're talking six, seven, eight, nine, and that's a lot to go every game. But again, the first round is going to be three out of five before we go with five out of seven. So hopefully, um, I don't see this lasting past the first round of the playoffs. If they get that far, uh, they're going to make the playoffs. That's not a concern. But I, I just, if they go to the ALCS and then the World Series, I don't really know Usually you go four men. You that's just traditionally the way you go. If there's rainouts and stuff like that in the playoffs, you will see guys bumped up. So it's not it's not super weird that we could see a three man rotation. I just don't I don't know. I think it's more that you don't they this team doesn't feel super confident in the the three or four or five men that they have, and that is why you're gonna see the possibility of it being you know condensed. Whereas if Salazar and Carrasco are healthy, you combine them with Kluber, and then even if you have to throw Bauer, and you've got really a four solid man rotation and again there's really nobody to take out in that instance but now when you're talking that it's kind of Kluber and question marks after that yeah I mean again I, I at least I give credit to the Indians that they're looking to do something different they're trying to shake it up they know what their what their area for opportunity is right now at this point in the season and that's their pitching staff so that's the only reason I worry because they did they came so far from last year for where they are right now and they were they had the best record in the AL for a very long time but that pitching concerns and those those losses that have been mounting up are now a reason why they probably won't win 
the home field advantage. And they got to worry that they, you know, don't play a tough team like the Rangers in the first round or the Boston Red Sox and get knocked out before they even really get a chance. So, uh, you know, it's it, it'll be tough. It'll be great for the city of Cleveland, you know, lovely Cleveland, Ohio, where it never snows and everything stays around 62 degrees. But um, no, no, I don't I don't think that it's going to give them much of a chance of three man rotation. So you have them bowing out where the ALCS Again, it depends where they play. Uh, I, if, if they're actually, I think honestly, they're better if they if they face the Texas Rangers in the first round because Texas doesn't have great pitching either. Um, their their bullpen is actually, I would say, their bullpen is a lot worse than than uh, than probably any of the teams that are going to make the uh, make the playoffs in the American League. So I think if they can go against Texas, and even though Texas has hitting up and down the lineup, which will definitely be a little bit of a concern for a pitching staff that's you know could be three men for the Indians, they also hit. And I think that as long as they can match up with their hitting, if they can hit, you know, if we're talking eight, seven games, nine, nine, five games, if they can hit and stay the course with Texas, I feel that their bullpen will inevitably, inevitably be the reason that they move on to the ALCS. Now, if they play, if they play the Boston Red Sox, I don't see it because Boston can not only hit, but they've got really good starting pitching and they've got really good, uh, really good relief pitching. Uh, if they play Baltimore or Toronto, again, uh, those teams have good bullpens. Those teams have great offenses, but those teams don't have much in the way of starting pitching. So again, if they can go up pretty much against anybody but Boston, they should move on to the ALCS. But uh, for all intents and purposes, right now, I, I just think the strongest team in the AL is probably Boston. I would put, you know, Boston and either Texas two A or you know Cleveland two B. You know, in that kind of direction. So there you heard it, Cleveland fans. Mike does is not fond of your city. He's still from the approach because you took Andrew Miller, and he doesn't have you pretty much going past the ALCS. So there you have it. But we'll be back with the wrap-up and our NFL Week 3 picks. The wrap-up. All right, welcome back to the wrap-up. Before we get started, we just want to let you know that one of our sponsors has some great information for you that you need to take advantage of, especially right now before the MLB playoffs get started. So for those of us who live and love sports, this time of year is loaded with events like I just spoke about. Come on. Of course, the NFL is back in action, PGA is going strong, and UFC has some great fights in the mix. We also have one of the most entertaining presidential races ever with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton providing all the free comedy that we can handle up until November. That's right. With all these events going on, it's a great time to join BetDSI.com for all your sports wagering action. Watching games are fun, but when you have cash on the outcome, it gets exciting. I signed up this year because I like ratings, and they have an A-plus on most sportsbook review sites and have excellent customer service. They offer all sorts of odds on NFL and NCAA football, all the major sports leagues, and also have some fun options to bet on the 2016 presidential election, reality TV shows, and so much more. The BetDSI site is quick, mobile access works great, and it's very easy to use. Playing there makes games makes watching games a lot more intriguing for everyone. All right, so if you like free money, here is the part that you need to not only memorize, but write it down, you know, just don't forget this information because as a Mike and Mo show listener, BetDSI currently has a fantastic promotion where you 
can actually try out the site for free. Simply go to betdsi.com, sign up using the promo code MAN10, that's M-A-N, the number 10, and you're going to get 10 free dollars to bet on the NFL or any of the other many sporting events that are going on in the world, NCAA, I mean, just you pick, you choose, you get 10 free dollars. It's really simple. Again, MAN10 is a promo code. Use that promo code and you're ready, ready for some fun, pick some games, win some money. I mean, again, the holidays are coming up. Who could not use some extra scratch? I know I could. So again, betdsi.com, Mike and Mo Show podcast. Go to the corner, hit man 10, get free money, and then win. And then send us some because you know what? We like money too. <laughs> so that is it. We want to get you started for betdsi.com. We want to get you started with some picks, picks for the weekend. And obviously tonight we've got the Texans and the Patriots. So Mo, who are you putting that fresh $10 on? Fresh 10 on the Texans. I alluded to it earlier. Uh, Jacoby Brissett or Hurt, Jimmy Garoppolo or Julian Edelman, who hasn't really been a quarterback consistently since college. Got to go with the Texans defense. They win this one. Obviously, yeah. Texans big. Texans, Texans, Texans. Uh, Cardinals and the Bills. And uh, the Cardinals trounced trounced the Buccaneers last week. It was ugly. I think it was 47. Uh, Jameis Winston took four steps backwards in that game. They lost Doug Martin. Uh, The Bills, we talked about it last week, have a new offensive coordinator. Tyrod Taylor's got to learn a new system, unless this guy keeps the same system. And Reports have said two different things. Uh, Shady McCoy not looked like his, his normal self. He's getting sued now, so there's a lot going on in Buffalo. Uh, but I've got the cards, and I've got the cards big. Yeah, it's going to be 40-7 to 7 again. You'll, you'll probably think you're watching the same game from last week, but it's just different teams. Mm-hmm. Seeing, but just going in a, a different direction totally, the Carls are going to trounce the Bills in their home. Bills go down 0-3, and Rex Ryan may get fired within the coming weeks. Yeah, the Bills better hope it snows because that's the only chance they have. Uh, the Vikings and the Panthers, the the running back by committee Vikings versus the Carolina Panthers. I'm taking the Panthers, and again, that's the, that's the theme of today, big. Yeah, very big. Panthers, uh, actually, no, not big. Not big? Okay, I'm sorry about that. Okay. Panthers win, but not big. The Vikings' defense, I picked them up in my fantasy league, by the way. Vikings defense has a way of keeping things pretty, pretty close. I don't think the Panthers walk away with this one as easy as people think because the Vikings are very deep in their secondary. Panthers win, but by a slight margin, maybe by a field goal. All right, here's our first game where we, we differ on the on the outcome. The Broncos at the Bengals. I am taking the Broncos because, A, the defense – B Trevor Simeon's gonna he's got to step up he's got to answer to the call of his uh, his star wide receiver kind of calling him out and C because I don't trust much on that Cincinnati team uh, the Red Rocket uh, he kind of flamed out last week AJ Green is still really good but that team their running game uh, is kind of non-existent at this point like I don't know if this is a Jeremy Hill thing where he just decides to play like from week seven on but he he's been horrible. The first two weeks, uh, Giovanni Bernard is good, but he's like a, a, sm- a small wide receiver. He doesn't really run out of the backfield, and their defense is just okay. So I think if Denver can stay close, uh, C.J. Anderson can get his yards, I see Denver uh, pulling this one out. Mike, you forgot D. You have a love affair with John Elway. That's part of the equation here. Sure. Let's not get that twisted or mistaken. Sure. But anyway, um, the Bengals will win this game at home. If you watch the Bengals in the Steelers game last week, they pretty much – Bottled up A.B. Antonio Brown. So if they could do that against a, a, a 
Pittsburgh Steelers team that relies on the pass to score their points, I'm sure they can shut down Trevor Simeon in that offense. C.J. Anderson is due for a fall off. I know the Broncos defense will still be stout. It's going to be a low-scoring game, but Bengals eke it out by a point or two over the Broncos. All right. Joe Flacco led Ravens against the 0-2 Jags. Do the Jags go to 0-3? I say they do. What do you think? Yeah, I all the people who drinking the Jaguars Kool-Aid in the offseason might want to stop sipping because they looked horrible against the San Diego Chargers. They were blowing them out 35-0, I believe, at one point. The Ravens came back on the Browns after going down, I believe, 20-20 or 21-0. They came back, scored 25 on answer to win that game. The Baltimore Ravens are still mentally tough under John Harbaugh. They win this game. Jaguars drop to 0-3. All right, another team that if the Packers don't beat the Lions, there's going to be a lot of rumbling about a coach on a hot seat. And besides the fact that now they're already saying how Aaron Rodgers hasn't thrown for 300 yards in 10 consecutive games, I think you got to still take the Packers, and you've got you to gotta think that this is the time that Eddie Lacy and company finally break out of this, the doldrums of this opening season. I think the Packers come out firing. I, I don't think this is a big win for the Packers. I believe, I believe the Lions beat the Packers recently. Uh, the Lions have an improved defense. I, I'm a little scared about Amir Abdullah missing well out of this game. Packers will win, but it's not going to be a, a huge blow even at Lambeau Field. All right, one of the horrible games of the week are the Cleveland Browns and the Miami Dolphins. Unfortunately, somebody's probably going to win this game, and I think it would probably... But not definitely be the Ryan Tannehill Dolphins, not because Ryan Tannehill's any good, although Mo would love to tell you that he is, but just because they have a little better of a defense and and the K- Cody, is it Cody Kessler's going to start? Like, uh, really, Cleveland? This is what we're doing now? We're going to hope Isaiah Crowell can, like, find a hole again and rush for 80 yards? Uh, wow, just terrible. I hope it rains. Yeah. I hope it rains all over Miami in that game. Stop it. Yeah. Dolphins win this game. I still believe in Ryan Tannehill. I'm not giving up on Ryan Tannehill yet. You just wait. They he's going to get it together. Even without Arian Foster, he's going to be out. I know you joked about Arian Foster. He's probably going to miss a game here or there eventually. And he Sneezing. is. Yep. J.J. is back there. He's going to start. Uh, the Dolphins are still going to be pretty good with their passing offense. Devontae Parker went off. I like where the Dolphins are going. Even though they were getting blown out by the Patriots, they almost came back and completed a comeback. So they killed the Browns. Sorry, Cody Kessler, your NFL debut will be spoiled in Miami. Yeah, I did pick up J.J. Uh, in our league, so I'm hopeful that at least if they're gonna, if the Dolphins are going to win, let it be because of him. Although, again, this is a guy that was deactivated for the first game because of a bad attitude, so anything is possible in Miami. Uh, keeping, in, uh, keeping in with the possibilities of the New York Giants beating up on those fraudulent, fraudulent Washington Redskins, uh, how can you not take the Giants at this point looking to go 3-0? Yeah, a lot of people are buying into the Josh Norman is better than Odell Beckham because Odell Beckham hasn't looked impressive. But if you look at the totality of these two teams, the Redskins don't have a backfield. People talk about the Giants' backfield. The Redskins have absolutely nothing, and we talked about that at the beginning of the show. Rashad Jennings and Shane Vereen are actually going to be pretty decent. People are looking at the ODB uh, and Josh Norman matchup, but you're going to have Sterling Shepard and Victor Cruz break out for Big gains. I believe they're the reason the Giants win this one. Okay, with the flip of a coin, Moe's Oakland Raiders could be 0-2. Luckily, they squeaked out the first game. They got beat handedly by Matty Ice, and now they play the woeful Tennessee Titans. So obviously, I'm taking the Raiders, but not confidently because, like I told you before the season started, Mo, I think your team is going to underachieve this year. 
Yeah, I'm a little. I'll admit, I'm a little scared. I was on a Memphis radio show earlier today, and the producer is actually a huge Titans fan, obviously because it is in Memphis, Tennessee. And I said this on the show, and I'll say it now. I'm a little worried about the Raiders covering Delaney Walker, the tight end for the Titans. As I said, Jacob Tammy destroyed the Raiders last week, and Austin Hooper, who no one knows, destroyed the Raiders last week. They don't have a cover linebacker. Sean Smith looks terrible in the covering the slant. And the Titans do have quick wide receivers out there. I'm not talking about Andre Johnson, who's like 85 years old. I'm talking about Tajay Sharp. The Raiders win this game, I feel. The Raiders beat the Titans last year on their turf. I think they win it this year. They get it together finally. They're a better road team than a home team. So I got the Raiders on this one. Maybe it has something to do with playing on that baseball diamond for like yeah. four weeks. Very possible. Uh, the 49ers and the Seahawks. Man, oh man, if the Seahawks don't wake up, and I know that it's possible that uh, Christine Michael might be playing, might be their starting running back this week, but if Russell Wilson and that defense does not come out and really put a licking on this Niner team, what is wrong with them? Yeah. Russell Wilson is not getting any protection in the pocket, which is causing him to have him to scramble. I'm, I know he got Indominus Sue stepped on his ankle. That's what messed up his ankle. But the Seahawks have to get their offensive line issues together because they can't always depend on Russell Wilson getting himself out of trouble because, as you can see, he, he will get hit certain times and have an effect on his game. Uh, I, think, I think the Seahawks pull this out at home against the San Francisco 49ers. Now, I know the San Francisco 49ers shut out the Rams, and then the Rams beat the Seahawks. So, you know, you, by that logic, you would think the 49ers beat the Seahawks, right? Wrong, okay? It's all about matchups. The Seahawks win this one big. Quick side note, I'm half-joking, half-serious about this. I'd like to see both the Seahawks and the 49ers both start the game by kneeling during the National Anthem. I'm, I'm, I, I want to know if that would happen, because after what we saw with Sherman... And Kaepernick, I wonder, will we see something? Which is funny because these two teams were bitter rivals, but now they're on the same side of a social issue. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. Uh, the next game, which could possibly be the worst game of ever assembled in the NFL schedule and the history books of sporting events, the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Los Angeles Rams. Holy crap. Like, usually when two teams like this get together, it's probably it's like a shootout. It's like 44-42. But um, I'm going to take the Rams because I have Todd Gurley, and if he doesn't get more than 50 yards this game, I'm going to have to severely rethink ever playing fantasy football again. Uh, yeah, this is <laughs> I think the Bucks after they got embarrassed last week against the Cardinals, they're going to rebound against the Rams. Jameis Winston, I still think he's the real deal. Yes, I know he only had one touchdown and four interceptions last week, but he gets it together against the Rams' respectable defense. Got to go with the Bucks on this one. Jameis Winston is that dude. He's that dude, that dude, that dude. Uh, the Chargers and the Colts. I'm still loving the Chargers. I love Travis Benjamin last week. Two touchdowns, one meal league. Uh, the Colts. I think if you, I think what the Colts should do is in the off season is they should sign Kirk Cousins and put the most fraudulent player in the world on the most fraudulent team in the world because this team has robbed the good folks of of, of the NFL from so much good that they they built up two years ago with Andrew Luck, and they were horrible last year, and they're horrible this year. No defense, no offensive line, a 55-year-old running back, uh, a midget wide receiver. I mean, I could just go on and on. So it's hey. charges all day. Yes, T.Y. Hilton is four foot three. 
and he just can't be a number one receiver in the NFL. I'm sorry. That's the record. I have T.Y. Hilton on one fancy team, and I have Philip Dorsett on another fancy team. So I hope they both, both midget wide receivers, I hope they both break out, Mike. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, my prediction, I'm going with the Colts, even though they look pretty bad. I, I still don't believe in the Chargers secondary. I think the Jaguars are just that bad, made the Chargers look pretty good. But I think it evens out this week, and the Colts win at home. They desperately need a win. Andrew Luck pulls it out. He throws all over that Chargers secondary. Pulls out with a victory. All right. Uh, the people at the New York Jets facility uh, called me and asked me to take away Mo's Jets privileges for the rest of the year because he's taking the Chiefs over the Jets. Uh, not after what I saw last week. I- I'm going Jets, and I, I think they keep keep up the momentum, even if Brandon Marshall isn't 100% because of that possible MCL twinge i think that there's too much when anua and decker and forte and and fitzpatrick looked really good and and again the jets defense hasn't come to play at all yet so if there's ever a game that they really decide to uh to start i think now would be an opportune time against uh alex smith and and a running game that doesn't feature jamal charles you just said it. The Jets gave up 31 points to the Buffalo Bills, and Sammy Watkins had, like, two catches for 20 yards. They, the Jets, I don't know what's wrong with their defense. Todd Bowles is a defensive guru. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's just because of what what's going on with Revis in the back end that affects everyone else. But if you give enough 31 to the Buffalo Bills, Tyrod Taylor, and, and an unhealthy Sammy Watkins— I mean, the Chiefs, State, they, they, have, they still have enough running backs, even without Jamal Charles to get the running game going. Jeremy Macklin may be a problem for Revis. I, I think the Chiefs win this one at, at home. I don't see them losing two games in a row after they were shut down by the Texans. Remember, the Chiefs didn't look good. They were playing a really good defense in the Texans. The Jets had the potential to be as good as the Texans' defense, but they're just not showing it right now. So I can't believe in the Jets. You can take my Jets card if you want right now. I'll Give pick it. up my Knights card. Yeah. But Chiefs win this game at home. Sorry, Jets fans. I, I'm not believing it yet. Darrell Revis still worries me a little bit. Got burnt by Marquise Goodwin. And eh, a little wary about that. Chiefs I, win this game. All right. I love the fact that Carson Wentz played so well last week that it must have made the Cleveland Browns cringe. Yeah. The fact that they traded their pick to, to draft, I don't even know who at this point, but he did. He looked great. He can throw. He can run. He He's going to be really good. Even even the Rams screwed up taking Jared Goff. Now time will tell if he if he was the right choice, but as of today, uh, this kid from North Dakota State looks like the real deal. Uh, but even with that being said, I don't see... Antonio Brown being shut down for two games. Uh, I think he's going to get his head on straight, even if he does look like Will I Am, uh, Mike Tomlin, I'm referring to. So I'm taking the Steelers. I think it'll be closer than m- many expect. The Battle of Philadelphia, or Pennsylvania, I should say, does go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I agree with you here. It's, it's the uh, it's the Pennsylvania matchup. I, I really like Carson Wentz. I like what he's doing. At first, I wasn't. I thought that the Bears would get to him and make him look like a rookie. With all the injuries and the dissension on that side of the field, Carson Wentz got it together. But on his own, just looking at Carson Wentz as a player on, you know, his performance as a single performance, he looked great. I don't think the Steelers uh, will confuse him too much. I think they will get to him enough where they win the game. I've been waiting for the Steelers' secondary to crumble, and it hasn't happened yet. So, I, I, you know, I don't think it happens this week against a rookie. But I do think Carson Wentz plays a decent game. I still have the Steelers winning it in a close one, maybe by a touchdown. 
Alright, now if you've got anything to do this Sunday, like if your girl wants to go out somewhere and, you know, usually you're like, oh, baby, I want to watch football. Now is the, is the Sunday and Monday to do it. Because on Sunday night, we got the Bears and the Cowboys, and Monday night, we got the Falcons and the Saints. Now, Monday night will probably be a little bit better, but that Sunday night game is atrocious, okay? I mean, the Bears and the Cowboys, I'm taking the Cowboys because the Bears have asked me and Mo to suit up. I'm going to be under center. Uh, Mo's going to be running, uh, he's going to be running out routes, and maybe we'll send him on a couple flies because again he is the doppelganger of ty hilton so anything is possible but take the cowboys and hope that the game goes quick yeah this game is not as exciting as it initially could have been because the bears supposedly would have had an improved defense and the cowboys romo back you would think there's excitement there but the bears don't look like a real nfl team right now and the cowboys ezekiel elliott as we spoke about earlier doesn't look all that impressive and you got Dak prescott rookie on the center so it's not much to watch here, but the Cowboys win. Uh, that's That'll be uh, two straight after dropping the first game against the Giants. Bears drop to 0-3, and mutiny starts in Chicago. All right, and the final game where we disagree. Say it with me, Mo. Hotlanta. Gosh. Hotlanta. I'm taking Hotlanta to put it on the Saints because that is another team that is fraudulent in their abilities. How Drew Brees can go from like 45 points in one week to less than 10 in another is beyond me. Uh, I don't trust much of anything, especially their defense. They another team that has no running game, but again, why would they? They've never had a run game, really. Mark Ingram is, you know, the invisible man. So I'm taking the Falcons. I love what Julio Jones and Matty Rice did last week. Well, excuse me, Matt Ice. He's only Matty Rice when he's bad. I love what they did last week. I look for uh, I look for the running game to get better. Uh, again, I, I'm... It's a little ugly. Against uh, Tevin Coleman's going to continue to take away carries, uh, but you know Freeman looks looks good at times. He's got explosiveness, so maybe he can tell uh, Ezekiel Elliott what he eats to get him better in shape. Do you remember that Giant Saints game that was like fifty-two to forty-nine and combined one hundred one points last year? Mm-hmm. This game is going to come very close to that because neither team has a pretty good defense. Yeah. Both teams will struggle against the passing attack, but I'm taking the Saints. Because they're at home and they need to win this game or else they go down 0-3. The Saints and Falcons, I say this all the time, they're mirror images of each other. They both have great passing offenses, poor defenses, but the Saints have a little more and I think they get it done at home against the Falcons. I just don't understand the Saints. They really need to rebuild, start over, and you go and re-sign Drew Brees for another two years. Who I know he's the main attraction he is a great quarterback but it would have just made more sense to put that put that money elsewhere unless they really think they can contend but with no defense and really no running game i don't know how they can be honest about that yeah you're absolutely right about that the the only problem this matchup with the falcons is that they they can't defend the pass very much either because even though the falcons beat the raiders last week Derek carr threw i believe i believe he do he didn't throw any interceptions, had a pretty decent game. It's just that they didn't have enough firepower and they didn't have enough defense to defend the Falcons. But when you got a team that could put up points in bunches on their home field, it, you got to worry about the Falcons. The Falcons are usually, they look like contenders to begin the season and then they fizzle out somehow. I don't know what happens after the fifth or sixth game. I know this is only the third game, but I, I think you're going to start to see deterioration a little early for the Atlanta Falcons. All right, for those of you keeping track at home, I beat Mo last week, 12-11. It was close. So if you want to win money at BetDSI.com using the promo code MAN10, go with my picks because Mo took the Miami Dolphins against the New England Patriots, and you should be slapped for that. Hey, first of all, okay, first of all, I didn't know that 
Ryan Tannehill and that offense was gonna come out like playing like they were in a coma. Okay, second of all, how did you not completed a huge comeback? Huge. Yeah, comeback. because Cody Brisket or Brissett or whatever he calls himself came in the game and he's not ready to play. So that's what's gonna happen tonight. And you, it's just you know you can't again you can't atone for injuries. But that Miami team is god awful. They are so bad. They are they're just they're lucky they're playing Cleveland this week. Mike didn't tell you guys this on air, but he said this plenty of times that he hates the Miami Dolphins. There's <laughs> this super hate there. So yep. anything he says about Ryan Tannehill or the Miami Dolphins is probably jaded with hate. So but I, but I love beware his of that. Okay, I, I, be, absolutely. I actually actually decided last week that I I hate them more than the Patriots. I just <laughs> want to put that out there for everybody. They have the greatest amount of hatred in my uh, life than the Patriots, but. To each their own, and I do love Ryan Tannehill's wife. That that pretty much puts a bow on episode thirty-two. Now, Mo, anything you want to share with everyone as we uh, as we get ready for another injury-plagued week of the NFL? Uh, tonight, Texans coming out party. People are gonna be jumping all over the Texas bandwagon after they beat the Patriots, even though they're without Brady. It, it'll show that even with Bill Belichick's greatness, that the Texans defense is for real. And I said this episodes ago in the offseason, the Texans defense is gonna. It's going to be pretty much as good as the Broncos' defense last year. Will it take them all the way to the Super Bowl for a victory? We'll see. But I think they're going to be the number one defense at the end of this year. Ooh, very, uh, you're going out on a limb there. I like it. Yep. I like it yep. a lot. I like it a lot. But, uh, yeah, as always, Mike and Mo show. You know, hit us up. Go on social media. Twitter, Facebook, I mean, you know, just do it. Follow follow the ESPN League because, you know, again, we're trying to give you guys insight so that you can hopefully win your league. You can go on BetDSI.com, win money. I mean, basically, I'm like the Red Cross here, just giving things out for free. I mean, that's all you got to do. And all we ask in your return is a like, as a share. Go on Twitter and, and comment. And, of course, we can be found on Stitcher. That's the official home of the show. So go on there and just listen. Just enjoy yourself. Have a good time and get ready for the new, the new week of the NFL. Baseball is uh, coming to a close. We'll have plenty of postseason talk this time next week. NBA gets heated up. I believe hockey starts soon, but meh. So all in all, it's been another fantastic week in the world here of Mike and Mike. And, uh, you know, again, just be kind to each other. We got one life to live. Enjoy yourselves. Do the right thing. And until next week, we'll we'll see you again. Uh, This is Mike Calendrillo. He's Maurice Moten signing off, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Take care.